Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. Um, it is interesting, out of those four workshops on offer, um, I think three of them, you know, prayer, writing songs, um, and what was that? Oh, yeah, community. It's all about what we do for God, how we talk to God. I mean, prayer is two-way. But what I'm talking about is how we hear from God through his word. And, and so I think this is, this is quite an important one. Um, God's word speaks to us in so many different ways. And um, those of you here last night, Stuart... Um, Bell tell a little story of how they, reading through their daily notes, how it spoke to them at a particular time. And I, I, I've certainly had that experience where, amazingly, a scripture, it, it's unique to me. It probably uh, only I would, you know, if someone else read it, they wouldn't have seen it. And you, you say, how did you see that? But somehow you know that's God speaking to you. And I, I want to encourage us that, that that really is true for all of us. That's why it's so important to regularly read the word of God. Um, you know, there's large parts of the world that still have no Bible or no Bible in their language. And we are so blessed in this country, particularly in this country and, and any English-speaking nation, in fact. We are so blessed, uh, unbelievably so, compared to a large part of the world. And, and there is so much available in English, in our language, that it is our mother tongue. And uh, there is more, you know, Bible uh, aids and Bibles translations in English than any other language. It is, in fact, I think it's like in the Bible days, Greek was the language everyone spoke, and the New Testament was written in Greek. I think English is the modern equivalent. It is the language that many, many, a vast part of the world speaks. And so we're really blessed that we are English speakers. Um, There's really, um, well, I have to say... I brought these piles. There really is no excuse for not reading the Bible, actually. I brought these piles. It doesn't look so big here. When I spread them out at home, this is only a small section of my bookshelf of different Bibles, different Bible study aids. You can get a chance to look at them later. There's concordances and Bibles. What is incredible, I mean, that filled a suitcase, and I've got at least another two or three suitcases at home. Today, I've got five times more than that on this one thing. Okay, That and, and many, many more. What is available to us electronically is, is incredible. And there is no time in history being like this where at the you know, t- touch of a finger or whatever, you can see the, the wealth of scriptural aids and, and scriptures and thoughts on the scripture that's never been available before. It's a wonderful, uh, you know, it's a blessing. It's also a challenge, which I will talk about. Um, so I'm assuming, I don't know, I, I gave a talk... 2015, about two years ago, called The Unbelievable Truth. It was in a workshop we did in the community lounge, and there was two talks, one on how the Bible's made up, how we got it, and you know, what, why are the books that are in the Bible there, the different languages, and, and I gave some evidence and some proofs. I know Eleanor and Andy were there, I think. I don't know how you remember it. Some you know, fantastic evidence of God's authorship, that he wrote this, that he, he's responsible for what's in here. And then I gave a second one on understanding the Bible and how to read it. And that's really what this workshop is based on. There will be interactivity, I hope. It's a workshop. It's not meant to be just a preach or a seminar. So you'll have to bear with me. This is a, we'll see how that works out. And there'll be a chance, hopefully, at the end for us to do a bit of study ourselves. Um, so I'm going to take it as read that people here understand the Bible is not one book. It's 66 books written by about 40 different authors. It's split into Old Testament, New Testament, 39 books and 27 books. 
And the Old Testament is mostly written in Hebrew, and the New Testament was mostly written in Greek. Um, that's, we know that. The Old Testament is pretty much the Hebrew Bible that Jesus would have used. That was the, the Bible that the Jews used in the times of Jesus. The New Testament is pretty much the Bible, the scriptures that the early church used. That's a vast oversimplification, but that's what we have today is our scriptures. Um, what, Jesus, what the Jews used and what the early church used. So please interrupt me if you have any questions as we go. Just small, if it's a big question, we'll try and save it for the question and answer session and hopefully Bethany will write it down. My glamorous assistant uh, over there is uh, hopefully going to write that down. So before we get into understanding the Bible, I just want to say a few things about the Bible which were from my original workshop, the first, uh, original first one, but I think it's important to remind ourselves of these, okay? So, understanding the Bible, that's the title of the workshop. This is absolutely fundamental. All Scripture, this is from what the Bible says about itself, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's everything. Every part of this is useful. Not all necessarily useful to you or me, but useful to someone. Um, and, and that's really important to remember that. Oh, Here's some fundamental truths um, that I believe. I certainly, this is my understanding about the Bible. Now, not everybody today believes quite what I'm going to say here, but this is fundamental about what the Bible. Firstly, we believe that it is God-breathed. That... Um, that's scripture. There it is. God breathed. That's a, that's, a, that's a Greek word that doesn't exist. Actually, Paul made it up. He joined together two words, the word for God and the word for breath, and said, God breathed. And, and uh, it's God breathed. That doesn't mean God dictated it. If you're a Muslim, you believe the Quran was written by Muhammad, but dictated, literally word for word, dictated by an angel, I think, or, rather, or by God himself. And, and so they're in Arabic. And, and so they claim that Muhammad couldn't read and write, and he just wrote, you know, he was you know, uh, supernaturally inspired to write exact words, and they believe every single word as written is the only thing that matters. In fact, you can't translate the Quran officially. You shouldn't read it in English. You can only read it in Arabic. And many of them who read it in Arabic don't actually know what it's saying, but, uh, because, but they know how to pronounce the Arabic. But that's, that's not what we believe about the Bible. We believe that God inspired the authors to write. He inspired them what to write. He didn't dictate the words, but every word that they used was important and, and uh, um, was meant to be there. Um, and the, the fantastic thing about it, this is why the Bible is so incredible, that the personalities and even the foibles and, the, and the, um, you know, even the biases of the authors come through in the Bible, and yet it's all meant to be there. There's a fantastic passage in Luke, or there's a story in the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Mark, Whereas a woman who had an issue of blood, she had her internal bleeding of some, um, some sort. Now Luke was a doctor, and he, when he wrote, you hear the same story in both passages. Luke was a doctor, and he mentions um, that he's, she'd spent a lot of money on doctors, and, a, and nothing had worked. And, that's, and Jesus healed her, of course. But he doesn't mention what Matthew does. He uses the word, she suffered at the hands of many doctors. Luke, who was a doctor, didn't use the word suffered. I mean, I, and it's interesting, their personalities came through. Um, so I believe that the Bible, um, and most of the people here, I think, would believe that the Bible um, 
in the original languages, Hebrew, Greek, Aramaic as well, contains exactly what it intended to. Even the apparent errors or contradictions, and we'll, we'll look at them later, I believe they're meant to be there, and they're not necessarily contradictions or errors, but they are intended to be there. Um, I believe this, absolutely. If we find a problem with the Bible, something that doesn't seem to make sense, we could be absolutely have faith that the problem is never with the Bible itself. It is possibly in the translation, in the interpretation, in our preconceptions, in the way we've been taught about it, our lack of knowledge. It is never with God's word itself. That's what I believe. So every word is important um, and every word is intended to be there. We believe it's the ultimate authority, all parts equally authoritative. So not just, uh, you know, just, some people just say the words of Jesus in red, they're the important bits. But actually, no, the scripture, and we, uh, in the workshop, I went through all these different proofs that different parts of scripture are all equally authoritative. We should not say the New Testament is more important than the Old or vice versa, or the words of Jesus are more important. Um, every part is in, important. It is complete. There's nothing missing. Um, this, I believe, absolutely. Now, if, if you're a Catholic, you've got a few extra books in your Bible. The Apocrypha, which the Protestant Church does not recognize. They are Old Testament books scattered throughout the Old Testament. The early church didn't include them, and that's another discussion <laughs> as to why they're not in the Bibles. But we don't, and if you read them, and it's fascinating to read them, they don't have the same depth and truth as the rest of Scripture. So I believe that's complete. There's nothing missing, and there's nothing, uh, nothing that sh you know, should be there, that is there that shouldn't be there. And it's without error. Well, we'll discuss that. I believe that. So, the most important thing, I think, yeah, that to realize that the Bible is not just one book. It's 66 books, and it's actually got different types of literature in it. It's not just all story. It's not just, you know, all laws of do's and don'ts. So, I, I just think it would be useful for us to see if we can... Think and now Bethany is going to write them up on our makeshift whiteboard. If you could think and tell me the types of literature we find in the Bible, does anyone think of any S story? So we might say that's historical narrative to put it. You know, it's it, it, it's telling something, as opposed to parable, which is a story that may not have happened. Anyone think of any other types of literature? Poetry. Poetry. Yeah, thank you. Poetry. I'll see whether how many you get right. Sorry. <laughs> Any more? Lists. Genealogies. Whoa, that's what I haven't got. Yeah, yeah. Lists of names. <laughs> Lists of names. Um, letters. Good, good. Apocalyptic. Yes. And there's a, that's that's a sort of part of another type of literature we found throughout the Bible, which is prophetic. That's right. Not pathetic. Prophetic literature. There's a lot of the Bible is about prophecy. There's a particular, in the New Testament, we find a particular type of literature no one's mentioned yet. You wouldn't think of it. Okay. We'll come back to that one in a minute. Um, yeah, wisdom. That's in, yeah, so laws. Uh, sorry, wisdom, proverbs. Um, We've had song. There's also poetry. Oh, we said poetry. Have we? Sorry. So we. Oh, I'm sorry. Song. Psalms is full of psalms. Decree. Yeah. So I've got laws and regulations. We've done pretty well. 
I think you've got most of the ones on my list. And I don't know this is complete. Historical narrative, that is just history, you know, telling you things that happened. Poetry and song, proverbs and sayings, laws and regulations, conversations. I mean, there is just recorded conversations. Sometimes they pass the historical narrative. Letters was the one I was looking for in the New Testament. It's a type of, you know, they're, they're letters written to people, written to churches. We did have letters, didn't we? Oh, I'm sorry. I wasn't listening. Figures of speech. That's pretty fundamental. That's not a whole book, but there's a lot of figures of speech in the Bible, and we'll, we'll look at some of them. Um, parables, stories. We don't know if they really happen, but they're stories to illustrate a truth and prophecy we discussed. Okay. Oh, lost my notes. So that's the types of uh, things. Oh, what? Procedures. I, where, have we got procedures? Where were they? <laughs> Instructions. Excellent. Yes, I never even thought of that one. Um, anyway, that's really important when you come to read the Bible to understand what it is you're reading. What type of literature am I reading? You know, and, and don't read, you know, prophetic literature as if it's, well, you have to read it in a slightly different way. And a letter, understand it's a letter. It's, it's really important when we read the Bible to understand what we're reading. Now, I need to acknowledge that not all Christians, if I go back to that um, previous thing there, not all Christians, and certainly not all people who call themselves Christians, do believe the Bible in the way I've described there. Um, some with liberal tendencies tend, I believe, to pick and choose the bits they like and explain the way the ones they don't, which I think is making their view more authoritative than Bible itself. Um, some people believe it's the church's job to tell you what the Bible means. Uh, you don't read it yourself. I, what the Pope says the Bible means, that's it. Um, and, and if I don't understand it, it's up to the church to tell me. Um, as I said, some add extra books. Some, like the cults, like the JWs, had their own version of the Bible where they've translated certain key scriptures differently. Um, I could show you some, but I won't today, to match their particular doctrine. Some add another book, like the Mormons have the Book of Mormon. Um, but this broad view that I presented is the broad view held by evangelical charismatic churches in the main. That is the view they held. Um, I also believe it's the view Jesus held, and, the, and it's the way the Bible talks about itself in that way. Uh, and so I think it's the only realistic way to really read the Bible is to treat it as every word important, um, you know, and all those, all those things that we had before. Uh, the ultimate authority, it's complete. Um, yeah, okay, we'll come to that in a minute. So... But when we come to read a particular scripture, and we're very good at this, preachers always do this, they have a particular scripture to illustrate their point, but they've just picked one verse or something. And Paul said this, he said to the, uh, to church, to the church he was speaking to, I have not shunned to declare you to the whole counsel of God. The fact is the truth of God is all of that. It's not one little bit of that. Now, if I quote a scripture, a single scripture, and it's consistent with what the rest of the Bible says, that's fine. But if I quote it out of context or to meet something that the rest of the Scripture doesn't say, then I've misquoted it. So we have to be really careful that we know the whole counsel of God. That doesn't mean every one of us knows every word of this, but it is important to understand that it's what Scripture as a whole says, not that one in, what in one individual verse says. Um, yeah, 
we can easily just pick a few scriptures and live our whole life only knowing five scriptures, you know. I mean, that's fine, um, but we'll be missing a whole depth if we do that. And if we've got one of the interpretations of them wrong, then we might be in a bit of trouble. Someone um, once described a Bible as a bit like a builder's yard, okay? It's, it's got all the bits. All the bits are there, but they're all over the place. Why did God do it that way? Why didn't just, we'd love it, just a list of laws, tick, 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 I'm, I'm okay. That's what the Jews wanted, a list of laws. If I keep all them, I'm all right with God. That's not the way God did it. God wrote the scripture, this amazing, varied types of literature, different authors, different backgrounds, and it's the whole of that that tells us and guides us in, in life. Okay. Now, I've got actually, before I come to that, I've got a few questions. Who's read the Bible all the way through? You know, a show of hands? You see, I'm keeping mine down there. <laughs> Everyone preach to you. I have never managed to get all the way from the beginning to the end. I always get stuck somewhere. And um, I'm a bit ashamed about it. I'm determined to do it one day. But I will get to a passage. I think I've got as far as Jeremiah once. And I've definitely read all the New Testament. But um, when I read the Bible, I come across a verse and I think, oh, what does that mean? And then I go off searching it and then I'm lost, you know. So it's good to read the Bible all the way through. Bethany's done it several times. Oh, you only did it once? I thought, oh, you tried it more than once. <laughs> but everybody has a different way of reading scripture. And if you haven't read it all the way through, that doesn't mean you're a worse Christian than someone else. You may have, I have probably read all of it at one time or another. I just, I find it difficult to start at the beginning and get through right through to the end. But that's just a way of reading the Bible. Um, I remember being really shocked, actually. I think I was asked to do a teaching on a parable in a previous church. And I went, I don't know what this parable, well, I thought I knew what this parable meant. So I went and looked up some commentaries about this parable. And then I looked up another one and they said two completely opposite interpretations of the parable. Wow, that was, a, that was a, what you mean they've got different views? It's the same story and they brought two almost completely different interpretations. What we have to recognize is not everybody reads the scripture the same way as us. And our view is not necessarily the right one. There may be more than two views on a particular verse. And we have to recognize that. But when somebody, this is what the verse I was coming to, um, this is a, a little bit in, in the book of Acts. It says that the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So Paul was preaching to them, but they weren't just saying, oh, because Paul said it, it must be right. They were checking what he said against the rest of the Scripture. In those days, it would have been the Old Testament to see what he said was consistent with Scripture. And we need to do that. When we read the Bible, especially when we hear people speak on it or, or teach on it on read stuff, let's be checking in our mind. Is that consistent with what I know of God, with what the rest of the Bible says? It's a really, really important habit to get into. Um, this is what we want. To do your best, to present yourself to God as one who approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly or accurately handles the word of truth. There are bad ways to use this. One of the worst ones is, close your eyes, the dog's licked up the blood. Oh, no, that's not a good one, eh? Oh, Judas went and hanged himself. Oh, no, no, that's not good. Go there and do likewise. Oh, no, no, that's not a good way. That's not a good way, though some people do that, and I've done it myself just randomly picking a scripture, but I'm not saying God doesn't speak to you, but relying on that as your main way of hearing from God is a bit risky. Um, this is a fantastic truth as well. As I said, it's a builder's yard, if you like. It's, it, all the bits are there, 
But some of them are concealed. Some of them are very well hidden. What I find amazing about this is the basic truth of the Word of God is so simple that a child can grasp it, as those children with Chip Kendall did, right? That's the basic truth. And yet, the depth of this can keep a, the top scholar in the world occupied for a lifetime, and he'll only scratch the surface. That is what's here, and it is absolutely remaining. And this, uh, this wonderful verse in Proverbs, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. He has concealed things in here that are not so easy to discern. But to search out a matter is the glory of kings. And that's what I feel really getting to Scripture. It's, it's the glory. We're becoming kings as we search out things. And we find wonderful truths that maybe other people have grasped them before. We've never seen it quite that way before. Okay. Right, so now I've, I've got to watch the time here. What have we got till four o'clock? What time did I go on? I got half an hour, haven't I? Yeah, half an hour. So I'm going to go through five keys to approaching the Bible, um, which I think are really key. So when we come to read it, they really help us um, understand um, you know, difficult bits, um, what it means to interpret literally. So these, these are the keys. Knowing what it means to interpret the Bible literally, understanding the different Bible versions. Why are there so many different Bible versions? And which one should I read and which one's the best? Knowing how to look at the difficult passages, knowing how to treat the apparent errors and contradictions. Maybe you've never heard one. When someone tells you there's lots of contradictions in the Bible, I challenge you to them to name one um, because the chances are they've just heard it. They don't actually know one. Um, but uh, there are some apparent contradictions and errors, um, and I'll mention a couple of them. But having the right attitude to the Scripture to say that we've got to have an attitude of learning, we must never bring our own judgment on Scripture. We must allow Scripture to judge our own thoughts. So... It's a little discussion. Uh, probably it's best if we just shout out, you know, can you think of a verse that we should take literally, as it says? Um, I mean, quote anything. Ten yes, Ten Commandments. Even the one about the Sabbath? If we took that literally, we'd be meeting on a different day, wouldn't we? <laughs> what I mean is, uh, um, yeah, because the Sabbath in, 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 the, in the days of Jew, uh, the Jews was... Uh, was on a Saturday, not on a Sunday. Um, Ten Commandments. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. I mean, we can take that literally, can't we? I mean, we do believe that literally. Um, can you think of a verse we shouldn't take literally? You got me, right? We're coming to that one. Yes, let's look, let's look at that one because that's really important. The dog's licked up the blood. If I just read that on its own, or do, you know, go there and do likewise, if I only read that on its own, I could take that to mean anything. So there are some scriptures, definitely some of the prophetic stuff, uh, it's imagery. There's figures of speech. You know, um, yeah. Yes. Okay, so <laughs> that's the discussion. We'll come to the verse Elspeth mentioned. Or not this one. Let's have this one first, right? How can, says Jesus in Matthew 7, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Is that literal? I mean, it's humor, isn't it? Jesus is using humor. There wasn't really a plank in their eye. There might have been a speck, but it's a figure of speech. We all use them in English all the time. You know, when we say it's raining cats and dogs, we do not mean cats and dogs are falling out of the sky. We mean it's raining heavily. Now, we use them without thinking in English so much of the time. 
And the Bible people were no different, except that we don't always recognize their figures of speech, and that's a problem. So that's quite a challenge, actually. Sometimes there are figures of speech there, and you just don't see it, because you're reading an English translation. It's not a figure of speech we use in English. In English. And so that's quite a challenge, and that's where commentaries and other people can help you to say, this is a figure of speech. So we'll come to the next one. So that's definitely humor. Everyone would say, no one really would say, take that literally. You know, you've got to take a plank out of your eye. What about this one, though, which is the one else has mentioned? You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, there are people in the Christian church that take that literally. I don't know if they've ever gouged their eye out or <laughs> the Fergus is nodding his head. This is, Jesus is using, <laughs> he's using hyperbole. This is exaggeration for effect, right? And it's obvious. I mean, the point about it, it's not, he's not trying to deceive people. To the people who said that, it was obvious. He was not, you know, he was making a point and he was using exaggeration, very clearly exaggeration, to say, if something calls you to sin, be prepared to do anything to stop it, you know? Or if, something, if you're doing something, you do anything. He's not literally saying, gouge your eye out or cut your hand off. And we have to recognize Jesus did that quite a lot. He did use hyperbole, which is something we use in English. We just have to recognize when the scriptures are using it. Um, so the next one, and I think this was, so we're looking at, so I believe we should interpret the Bible literally. Many people uh, in history have just said it's all allegory and there's, you know, and it's all picture language. And the trouble with that is, is who's deciding what the pictures mean? And one person's interpretation is as good as another. My understanding, there is picture language in the Bible, but when it is used, it's very clearly explained somewhere else in the Scripture. This is another point about pulling the different bits of Scripture together. When you find picture language, as a lot of revelation is, those pictures, if they're pictures, are explained somewhere else in the Bible. And if they're not, then it's not a picture. Uh, you know, you can assume that is literal. And I think that's a really good approach, um, and, and it helps us you know, with the prophecies and all sorts of things to say if it's... If it's picture language, then find where it's explained. Okay, the next one I'm going to talk about, yeah. For me, the difficulty in standing the Bible sometimes comes because we're reading it in an English translation. We must recognize that we are, the NIV is not the version, or the King James is not the version of the Bible Jesus read or Paul read. We are reading an English translation from the original languages, and there are a lot of them, as you probably know at least 50, or if not more. And uh, if you read them, different versions, you'll find the same verse reads quite differently in some of them. Sometimes it's very similar, sometimes it's subtly different, sometimes it's massively different between two versions. So anyone like to suggest why we have so many, how have we ended up with so many Bible versions? Right. Translation, so it's, you know, the king's nose was red. Where on that spectrum do, 
Mm. You can choose within that range which word you think is most appropriate given its context, given the possibilities for expression. Brilliant. Prudent. That's one of the reasons. In fact, that is the main reason for the differences in translation in English is what Ferguson said. I'll, I'll say a little bit about, more about it because you've said actually better than I could. Um, there are other causes. Anyone think of any other causes why translations might differ? Right, so yes. Yes. Yeah. So English isn't a static language, and and it moves on. And um, you know, I was saying, I, I I yet seen. I bet there is one. And probably the street bible will use the word wicked to mean good. But I mean, <laughs> you know, English changes its usage, and. So sometimes when we're reading, particularly reading an older version of the Bible, we're reading something and we're completely missing the point because we don't understand the language, even though it's English. So we, that's a major difference. Um, yes. Yes. I mean, I love that, and that's what I love about the NIV. It is, it's like it, when I first became Christian, the Bible I read, the, the, the yeah. point about the NIV, I think, is significant. It is regularly updated. There was last one in 2011. And they changed quite... There's things on the internet that can show you what they changed. They've said, right, language has changed. Scholarship, we understand things better. Are understand and, and, and they update it. So it is a dynamic translation in the sense that it, it's moving with English, um, but it has, a, it has other downsides. Right, so, that, that's, um, so I think these are the main reasons, and no one's listed the first one, and it's quite interesting. There are actually minor variations in the original copy. So we don't have the original manuscripts. We do not have the Greek and Hebrew originals. We have copies. Some of them copies very close to the original, and if you do the Alpha course, they tell you about what a wealth we've got for the New Testament. And this is all the other talk about saying how we can trust what we got is pretty accurate, but it's not exact. And there are minor differences, but not in any major um, doctrines. That's absolutely okay. And where they are, we're talking about words and letters here. They don't affect any significant doctrines. You will find particularly a difference between the King James, um, I think the NASB, the RSV, they used a particular version of the uh, uh, scriptures called the Textus Recepticus. And then most of the modern translations you use uh, the Nestle Alun text or whatever. It's, it's the, the best scholarship today, what we think is a more accurate original. And there are some, well, reasonable differences between them, but they don't affect doctrines. And very often you'll find a difference between them in one scripture. That, like in one of the Paul's letters, that same teaching he gives in another letter, and the differences, they're, they're identical. There is no difference. So you, people make a big thing about the King James is this is, you know, this is the Bible Jesus used, or it was the authorised English translation by God. It is an amazing translation, and I'll say something, because it really was revolutionary. It was, in English, it was, you know, the, the Bible for the people, and, and the way it was put together with scholars from all different backgrounds. It's a great translation, but the language has changed, and it's using probably not the most accurate original text. But that doesn't really affect any major doctrines. 
We said improved biblical scholarship. They are learning things all the time about particularly what Greek and Hebrew words meant as they discover things. So that changes. No one's mentioned this one. We'll look at this one. Um, the earliest copies have no punctuation or spaces. I think no capital letters. I mean, so literally they might not even be... Sh I mean, it's pretty. everyone pretty much agrees where the spaces are, but the punctuation, there's a lot of debate about that, and punctuation can change things. We'll look at that. And what... Uh, the most important, really, what Fergus described, the approach to translation, and we'll talk about, the, uh, about that. Just watching the time. Right, this, one, this is just an example of how changing the spaces can cha completely change the meaning um, of something. Right? If you put the spaces in a different place, it, the sentence can mean something different, completely different. And the, and the second one, you put the punctuation in a different place. And again, let's, let, let's eat, Grandpa, or let's eat, Grandpa. <laughs> it is... Amazing. So a lot of the, some of the various seriously are various. It's not just the punctuation. The verse numbers and the chapter numbers were not in the original. The books were, but sometimes they put verse numbers and chapter numbers in really stupid places, and, and they break up a sentence that they shouldn't do, and so that can cause differences in translation as well. Um, sorry, I have to put my glasses on to read my notes. Okay. Yeah. So. Translation approaches, I think Fergus covered it better. There are a, a certain set of books that translate it literally. That means they try to get word for word for the original as well as you can, because a lot of the original words, there is no equivalent in English, and so sometimes you get a word that doesn't really mean the same as original, but it's the closest one they could think of. The trouble with them, they might be accurate in a sense, especially if you understand the figures of speech like Fergus described, but sometimes they're just unreadable. They're gobbledygook. Because firstly, the, the Greek, the word order is different. If you put the words in the same order as Greek, it really wouldn't make sense in English at all. So I, I think they're really important translations, but they're limited and they can be very difficult to read. And they can, can completely obscure things. The one I prefer actually, is what, what they call the dynamic translation. That's where it's tried to create the thoughts and the phrases into an English equivalent. NIV brilliant. Um, the New Living Translation I love because it's even more readable. Say something about dynamic a little bit more. Paraphrase. That's the message. The one that we used to all know about was the Living Bible. There is a difference. <laughs> this was generated by a group of scholars. The King James was generated by a group of scholars. They came to agreement over years about what to put here. This was written by one guy and the Living Bible as well, I think, was written by one person. This is one person's view They've paraphrased it. They don't really attempt to maintain accuracy at all or any equivalent. They just put their own version, which they think, and sometimes it's brilliant. You can get some brilliant insights out of this, but I would be really careful studying that because you've got one person's view and it's certainly not always right. And sometimes it, he, you know, it's changed the meaning so that there, it, it bears no relation to the original. But it's still a very useful. It's, it's, it is said that every translation is a commentary. Really, it's someone's attempt to putting that original into, into English. So let's just recognize that when we read them. And having those, all those translations, that is the power. That is what we have in English. I don't know any other language, maybe French, I don't know, has that breadth. So if you come across a verse, doesn't make sense, read another translation. If you're reading you know, the New King James, then try it in the NIV. Try it in the New Living Translation. Even try it in the Message if you want. Because we have this incredible wealth of translations. And I'll show you, uh, using the internet, how... <laughs> You know how much more uh, we can. They're accessible. They are these days. Okay, that's enough about that. Um, so, which one should we use? Well, I've pretty much answered it. 
I would say if you're going to memorize versions, it's a good idea to stick to one. But my problem is I've read many, and I, whenever I remember a verse, it's half of one and half of another. That is a bit of a problem, okay? Because I can't remember which version I read it in. And um, if you really want to memorize scriptures, stick to one because it's really difficult. But uh, I would say read one, but have others to hand when you're doing any sort of studying. Have a, have a, at least have a literal and a dynamic and if you want a paraphrase, but, but certainly a dynamic and a literal available, um, and just and use them both. Um, there's a new one. I mentioned it when I spoke last, the voice, which is a bit like the new living translation, and that is fantastic. That, that's where they've taken not only um, tried to put it in modern English, they've also taken literature experts and people who know about good English and tried to make it very, read very, very readable. I haven't, and it's pretty accurate as far as I can see. I haven't checked it that thoroughly. Okay, here's some more reasons we're not going to go into in detail. Oh, and I have said the chapters and verses. We said, someone said changes in English language. The one I haven't mentioned is translator bias. Would you believe that some of those translators are biased? They have a particular view on what a scripture means. The interesting thing about the King James, which is why I like it, it was, as I understand, translated by a group of scholars across the theological spectrum, all the way from you know, one to the other, and they had it all came together. And whereas the NIV and pretty much a lot of those new translations come from the evangelical side of the spectrum. Now, we might say, that's okay, we're evangelicals. But let's remember that they certainly take a bias on some scriptures, and they, they translate them because they have that ev evangelical viewpoint. So we just need to be aware that the bias and the thinking of a translator can affect how they translated something and can affect when you read it. And there is this thing about transliteration. Some words, baptism, church. It's funny. It's that we, we use this word church, and the word is assembly or congregation, and that's what it means. And, uh, but we read it as church, and we would never change that. I, I mean, I think some translations do actually put the word assembly in there. But, uh, but uh, it's important. And baptism is, is, a, is a transliteration of the, word, of the word baptismo, which is Greek. It means full immersion. But we've hidden it in the word baptism, and now we, don't, we maybe have lost the fact that it means full immersion. Um, there we are. Yeah. A Wessex version of English, me. Okay. Yeah. particular dialect. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's not. It's translated into English, but it stands... This is the thing about the Quran. They believe doesn't stand translation. You mustn't translate it. You can only read the Arabic. The Bible stands translation. It, 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 it survives. The, the basic doctrines don't get changed. S maybe a few here, but that's why you have to take the whole breadth of Scripture. Yeah, a few odd Scriptures are mistranslated, but the whole breadth isn't, and the, and the strength is in the whole. And, and so I, we shouldn't fear translation unless the translator is really biased, like the JWs, where they deliberately change things to make it mean something... Um, Translation is good. It's a strength. It's a strength of the English language, uh, that having all those translations, it might be confusing, but actually it's protection against exactly all these things that we talked about. Having lots of translations is a protection against that because we can look at a different one. Okay. Moving rapidly on. Was I? 
Oh, I see. Sorry. No, no, I didn't ask you to. Yes, and yes, we, you do as well, and 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 we'll come on to that. Yeah, okay. Yes, <laughs> yes, but how do you know you're listening to the Holy Spirit? You, I mean, yes, we, you are. We are jumping ahead, but let's be careful. Yes, you do. All right, but ultimately, the Bible is the test of what you hear from the Holy Spirit. It's not the other way round. And, and you have to be careful that if what you think you've heard from the Holy Spirit is inconsistent with Scripture, then you haven't heard from the Holy Spirit. And that's the important thing to recognize. So let's just take a little look at this one. Um, it, you won't have to read far through the Bible, especially if you start at the beginning. Um, Genesis, I mean, before you come across a nasty bit. You know, a bit where either God appears to do something that just, not seen, just does not seem to match what we've been told about him being a God of love. I mean, typically he does something directly. He's sending out a flood to wipe out the entire population of the world. Um, or angels to do it, killing of the firstborn. He tells the Israelites to, to wipe out nations when they enter the promised land. This is a very difficult... Some people really stumble on this. How can I believe particularly the Old Testament because of all this stuff in there? And, and they really stumble at that. And that's because we've been taught God is a God of love, which he is. God is love. I mean, the Bible says that. Who can tell me where? John. One John, isn't it? One John, one verse five, is that right? I, I, I can't remember. I think it's one John. Yes, I should, I should have checked that. <laughs> but yes, it is. It is in the Bible. It is in there, definitely. God is love. But that's not just what God is. God is also a God of righteousness, a God of justice. And sometimes we only see him as love and we forget that he's those other things as well. And we must never say he's only love. He's not only love. He is also a God of righteousness and justice. And um, that is, I think, sorry, where we, where we sometimes fall down. Uh, we think the Old Testament is all about a God of anger judging people. But we haven't read the Old Testament very well because there's also an amazing God of love in there. There's some fantastic loving stuff said about, you know, about the church, about, about Israel. You know, uh, I'm like a mother, you know, as gathers her head under his wings, so I, you know, gathers people and he cares for people. So the, the Old Testament is full of God's love. And we haven't read the New Testament right either. We think, you know, Jesus is all about love. Jesus said the hardest things ever to anyone. He said some really horrible things to the Pharisees and called them a brood of vipers and, you know, sons of the devil and all this. He said some really tough things. And Jesus talked about hell more than anyone else in Scripture and the reality of hell and the gnashing of teeth and the eternal torment. Jesus talked about. So that's the God of the New Testament. So God's, you know, anger and his love is throughout all books. But what you do find, and um, there isn't an inconsistency, but there is a change in emphasis. And, and actually, in the Old Testament, you read about both. And in the New Testament, anger and love, as you get to the New Testament, it just gets intensified. You know, the, 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 the judgment is worse, hell and all this stuff. The love is greater, you know, Jesus. Love, and it all comes together at one point, And that is on the cross. So on the cross, that's where Jesus, God's love and his judgment came together. So if you want to understand you know, the difficult passages, think this is all heading for the cross. You know, God is judging sin in the Old Testament and, and, and he's angry about sin. And, but there's also this amazing love and he keeps you know, forgiving Israel and giving them another chance and giving them another chance. And ultimately it ends up in the cross where God's judgment and love 
comes together. So yes, it's difficult to understand those passages in isolation, but never take them in isolation. Take them as this is the God that the Bible describes. This is one of the things he did. And let's not forget that he is a God of righteousness and he, and he, and he, uh, and he does judge sin. Okay, uh, nearly finished. Oh yeah, errors and contradictions in the Bible. So I said this, um, you know, are there any? Can you think of any? Anyone name one? Oh, is it two times in it or a different number in another place, is it? Ah, uh, yes. Okay. So there's little minor inconsistencies. There's the uh, genealogies at the beginning of Matthew and Luke. If you look at them, they both claim to be the genealogy of Jesus, but they're very different. And, and people say, well, there's inconsistency. You know, they can't both be right. What is amazing about... Oh, sorry, I'm losing my place in my notes. The first thing to remember about the Bible is it isn't a list of do's and don'ts. We said that. We said it's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's a story. It's a whole mixture of literature. So there will be some bits that you'll never understand, and, and you don't need to. And they're for other people. You know, maybe they'll understand. So let's understand. We don't have to know every, understand every single scripture. So let's approach it with that. I don't have to. Sometimes, you know, God allows us to live in ignorance. But many of the contradictions, particularly in the Gospels, are actually its strength. And they can say, well, these are wi- eyewitness accounts of the same thing. When people see the same thing, they don't tell the same story unless they've colluded. In fact, if they colluded and got their story right, we'd be suspicious because they'd obviously been you know, trying to get all the facts lined up. So the differences like that cock crowing and things are just different people's remembering of the account. And they're a strength, not a, not a weakness. The genealogies, actually, there's some, can't go into it now. <laughs> I don't have any slides on it, but there's some fantastic explanations about what those genealogies. And one probably is of Mary, and one probably is of Joseph. And there's some fantastic things you can find from those genealogies, even though they're different. Um, there's a w- fantastic one, um, which I will mention. Well, no, th- there's the one about, um, yeah, it's uh, about Jericho. as a blind man. Bartimaeus, I think, Jesus heals him. And in one gospel, he heals him on the way into Jericho. He's on the way into Jericho, he sees Bartimaeus. In another gospel, he heals him, and Jesus is on his way out of Jericho. And it's the same guy. Now, I don't think he healed him twice. So, you know, there's two accounts. And in one, he's going into Jericho, and one, he's coming out of Jericho. Which one is right? Well, the fact is, some guy actually was determined to show that the scripture could be relied on. And I've been, I've been to Jericho, I've been to Israel, and there are two Jerichos. There's an old village, and there's the one where the walls fell down, and they're separate. There are two Jerichos, and, and it's quite possible that one gospel, he was coming out of the smaller one and into the larger one, and the other one, he was going the other way. So, you know, that, it looks like an inconsistency, but actually, one remembered one bit, and one remembered the other bit. Maybe one lived in one of the Jerichos, and the other one lived in the other, in the other one. Uh, Judas, if you look how he died in one gospel, he, he fell on the ground and his gut spilled out, and the other one, he hung himself. Well, they could both be true, couldn't he? I mean, he could have hung and the rope broke and his gut spilled on the ground. I mean, they're not necessarily inconsistencies. Um, so there's a fantastic website that can help you with it. I've even got a book, actually. Where is it? Yes, I'll show you this one. So this is alleged discrepancies... In the Bible, that's, goes, that's got all the scriptures, well, not all of them, but most of them you'll find in there, and an explanation as to what might be the reason. But there's a website that has something even better than that, um, which I'll mention later. Um, I think the clue is, when you, 
you know, this is when you look at different translations. I and mean, when you find issues like that, if it bothers you, then look at different translations, look at commentaries, see how people explain that. Do not assume there's something wrong with the Bible. That's the trouble where people say, there's something wrong with the Bible, it's inconsistent. That's not the truth. It's just something wrong with our understanding. We're missing a bit of the puzzle, and, and that's how we, the attitude we should have. So the last one, um, oh, they are, sorry. I've got slides. Um, yes, sorry, I haven't said this. Some of those ambiguities actually reveal hidden truths, like that Jericho thing. I mean, it's hidden there, and, and it's the truth actually came out from a guy studying it. And the Bible says this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. We can't assume we can completely know the mind of God. So, uh, so let's be humble when we approach Scripture. The final thing about when we come to Bible study... All right, we're up for time, is to have the right attitude to it. I.e., we don't come in judgment on Scripture when we read it. I know the truth, and I'm going to find it in the Bible, and if it doesn't agree with me, then the Bible's wrong. That is not the right attitude. Uh, Paul says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Um, we must be prepared. It's no good. It says, uh, Jesus says, no good. Hit, um, do not merely listen to the words and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Sometimes we don't like what we read and we're not prepared to change our behavior, even though it's clearly written there. Um, it's, it's like someone who looks at face in a mirror and after looking himself goes away and forgets it because you weren't ever going to change anyway. We must, we must have the right attitude when we look at the scripture that if, it, if I learn something that I don't like or I don't agree with, I've got to be prepared to change my life if that's necessary. Um, now Mark Twain was an atheist and he said this so he didn't believe in the Bible most people are bothered by the passages in the Bible he meant they don't understand but I've always noticed the passages that bother me the ones I do understand there's so much of the scripture now I'm going to say I'm misquoting him there he didn't mean what you think he meant because I, I say I mean that's true there's so much of the Bible that's simple to understand let's Concentrate on that. The bits that are difficult, let's not get too waylaid by them. Some people throw the whole baby out of the bathwater because they can't understand one particular bit. Really, that's an excuse not to follow the bits that you very clearly understand. What he actually was talking about, so I've discovered, is that he was talking about the Old Testament, the violent bits. He didn't understand them. He didn't actually... So they're the bits he thought he understood. But as I said, he didn't because he didn't really have a right perspective on the cross and the God of love and the God of judgment. But that's what he was talking about. But it's always a good quote if I misquote it. Um, there are disputable matters. Christians do not agree on things, on everything. I'm sure you've found that. I was surprised when I found those two versions of that parable. There are many, many more things that Christians disagree on. And... Um, you know, we shouldn't fall out of those things. There are some disputable things. Um, can you lose your salvation or not? Um, you know, and, uh, you know, there are many things that Christians disagree on, but, but fundamentally, we, we, you know, the most important things we do agree on. Let's not fall out. Um, we have to recognize matters of style. We have to recognize the difference between principles and, and things that are periphery, like eschatology, the end times. When will Jesus return and... You know, what order things will happen. There's a lot of disagreement about that. And that's a fascinating topic, but it's not something for us to fall out about. Okay. I'll give myself 10 more minutes, then we'll... I just want to look at, very quickly, some keys to studying the Bible. Um, 
there are two ways of looking at the Scripture. There are lots of ways, actually, but this is just two I'm going to describe. There's the deductive. And I have to say most preachers, including myself, use this. this is, we've already decided what we want to say, and we go looking for the Scriptures that prove that. Okay, We've got a conclusion. And if your conclusion is consistent with the rest of the Scripture, that's okay. And if you're preaching on a particular topic, that's a necessary thing to do. But that's not the best way to read the Bible. best way to read the Bible is inductive. It's to observe the text, uh, then to interpret it, and then to apply it. And observation is all about what I've talked about, you know, the, the context, who it was written to, what's the type of literature, you know, what did it mean, you know, what, did it, what does it actually say? What did it mean to the people it was originally written to? Um, that's really important, because we can't make a text mean today what it couldn't have meant to the people you know, it was originally written to. And only when we've got that right do we start applying that to our own lives and our own situation. If we do it in the other order, we can get in an awful muddle. So observations first, conclusions second. So that's the way I try and read the scripture now, is I, I don't just assume what I've been taught is correct, actually. I, I question it, and I start looking at it. Oh, they told me that scripture means that. And we're going to look at a few of them in our, in our workshop time at the end. Um, I think we haven't got time for that. Good and bad practice when trying to study and understand the Bible. I'll just give you a few. They are, Chris. Listen to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Those are absolutely fundamental that you do allow the Holy Spirit to guide you, and he does. But, but we, 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 you know, as I said, we also have to be careful that we are hearing the Holy Spirit, and we're not just hearing our own will or what someone else has said. And, and the Scripture is the test of that rather than the other way around. We need to understand the type of literature we talked about that. We need to understand the author who wrote it, why he wrote it, who the recipients were. It's really useful to understand the context of a particular verse. Take it in context, don't just pick it on its own. And this is really key. Use scripture to interpret scripture. So if there's one bit you don't understand, use the rest of the Bible to interpret it. Don't go straight to your commentaries and everything else. I mean, they're, for me, they're a last resort. You'll find actually in this part, there's no commentaries. I have got a set, and I'm not saying I... But once you've got a commentary, you've gone to one guy often's view on that point. And, and you've ruled out all other options at that point. It's really good to form your own opinion before you... And if you really can't make sense of it, then go to the commentaries. Um, and remember, as I said before, any problems always lie in our understanding. It's not our fault necessarily. It might be a terrible translation or whatever. But, but I don't believe there's any errors in the original scripture. Not that there's some, there's some funnies in there, but they're intended... Even those are intended to be there. Okay, the don'ts, and we're all there. Judging scripture by experience, I have to phrase that since Sim's Sim just come to the back of the room, I know. <laughs> Judging scripture by experience, so that's not true. Sometimes God, there's a scripture we've never understood, and then we, something happens to us, and suddenly it's like daylight. Oh, wow, I understand what God meant then. So I'm not talking about that, but it's not saying, you know, all these things, are ha I, I, I did this, therefore I'm going to go and, you know, judge the scripture on that, or I engage in this practice, and so I'm going to find the script, and I think it's okay, so I'm going to go and find the scriptures that, you know, uh, appear to say it's not and, and prove that they're wrong. And we must never take our, ours, us being the judge of scripture, it must be the other way around. I've said this, making a scripture means something it could not have meant to the original recipients. That's not mean we, doesn't mean we won't find new truth. The world has moved on. I think there's truths in the scripture about the world today, which the people who wrote it, like technology and things, couldn't have known. But we can't make it mean something it never could have meant to them. And, and, and we have to be careful of that. We must not base a doctrine on a single verse. There are, there's a few verses, particularly in the Old Testament, you hear quoted again and again and again. It becomes a mantra. They're the nice, there's not, 
<laughs> People always quote the nice bits out of the Old Testament. They never quote the massive chunks of nasty bits out of the Old Testament. Um, but we've got to be careful basing a doctrine on a single verse. It's got to be consistent. Um, I but again, I don't think we should assume any scripture is irrelevant today. Even all the laws in Leviticus, we might say we don't follow those, and we would explain, I won't today, but we'll explain why we don't follow those. But that doesn't mean there's not something useful to learn by studying them. And apparently, I haven't read it, there's a book called None of These Diseases Who's Gone Through a Lot of Those Laws and Shown that they're very consistent with modern health practice. So they were actually really just good things to do in terms of uh, keeping the, health, the, the Israelites healthy. The last thing, making an argument from, si from silence. Just, we have to be really careful. Just because the Bible doesn't say anything about snorting cocaine, that does not mean the Bible doesn't have something, you know, oh, it must be all right because the Bible doesn't say it's wrong. Uh, I use that example, but I mean, we have to be really careful. When the Bible gives us guidelines, it does not, deliberately does not cover every possible situation that might rise in modern society, but it gives us principles by which we can judge what's right and what's wrong. Okay, um, just a few pitfalls. When a word, and this does happen, appears only once in the New Testament or Old Testament, be careful, you know, because we haven't got a lot of things to test that by. We have to be really careful with that. So there are some scriptures where there's that word only appears, and they affix some of our doctrines we hold very dearly, like women preaching in church. There's one, one particular word only appears in the New Testament, and everyone's, you know, there's a big debate about what that means. And um, so we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful of liberal interpretations, which say, you know, um, I'll, I'll, I'll choose the bits of the Bible I like and the bits I won't, I'll dis disregard. Reinterpreting Scripture in such a way that, that changes what the church has taught for 2,000 years, that's, we've got to be careful. That's definitely going on today. Um, relying on one person's viewpoint also. Don't assume everything I say is correct. And a big pitfall, and then also a massive pitfall, is the internet. There is so much stuff out there. It's unbelievable. The wealth of stuff on the internet is, in, is incredible, and there is so much rubbish. I mean, you know, you could build terrorist bombs. There's also horrible stuff on the internet, but in terms of even in terms of Christian stuff, and you need some real wisdom when you browse the internet. So I'm going to recommend a few sites that, and there's a sheet with some on which we'll hand out that I think are pretty safe, but be careful um, it, when you go on internet sites and... Um, don't assume <laughs> anything, actually. It's always good to go to the about section and see the basic testimony, the guy or the people. And if there isn't one, that's a little bit of a question. You know, what is it? What's their angle? I found some fantastic stuff on really dodgy sites and found some dodgy stuff on fantastic sites. I mean, so just be careful. It's amazing. I heard that Wikipedia is now the source of reference. Now, Wikipedia is an, is a, is an encyclopedia edited by anybody. I mean, it, it's not anybody, but... It's not got the scholarship that Encyclopedia Britannica has or anything like that. And yet, we quote it regularly as if it's authoritative, and I do. And yet, it isn't, really. It's just some guy's opinion and, and, and maybe moderated a bit. So just be careful. It's incredibly powerful, but it's also incredibly dangerous. And there's some really heretical stuff out there that you could completely mislead you. Um, right. There we are. Two minutes to say some tools, and then we'll look at some. So... Key Bible study tools. These could be paper, if you like paper. You need a big suitcase to carry it. Um, multiple Bible versions. For me, that's the most important one. Have two or three, you know, and, and, and use, you know, read one, but check the other when you're doing study. Check the others. Study Bibles, which Beth brought my well-looking, super spiritual-looking Bible. Where's the one with all the tape on holding it together? That's it. 
So I added this take to make it look like I read the Bible a lot. So that's an NIV study Bible, which is a pretty common one. It's got little notes. It's what it's particularly useful for is the book introductions to say who wrote it, why he wrote it. That's really, really useful. The notes are, you'll find sometimes they'll explain things and the scripture you really want to explain. There's nothing about it. It's a bit annoying, I find. So, but particularly the book introductions are really good in a study Bible. Um, concordance. Right. <laughs> Strong's Exhaustive Concordance of the Bible. Th these are old ones. They're all available electronically as well. This is incredible. This has got every, every word in the Bible, every single word listed um, in the King James Version and all the places it appears um, and what it's translated. And, this is, uh, and then it's got uh, little numbers that tell you the Greek word and you can look up the Greek word or the Hebrew words. So that's a brilliant, brilliant tool. A concordance. I've got another one somewhere. Young's Analytical. They're all very... These, these are, a hundred, I don't know if that's 100 years old or more, they're incredible tools. Those guys, that, you know, whoever did that spent years, years and years. You can do it with a computer in, you know, much quicker now. But uh, those are really powerful. Bible dictionaries. Um, oh, there's, a, there's one called Unger's Bible Dictionary. I particularly like this. Is a, this, is, this is just explaining the words. There's books of Vines. is a well-known book on what the Greek words. So those are really, really useful just to explain the word in a more detail, what it meant to the people who wrote it, particularly in, in Greek. And, and Hebrew. Commentaries, as I said, yes, use them, but be careful because they're generally written by one person, so you're only getting that person's view. Um, and here we are. The most useful tool of all is Google. <laughs> because, this is for people like me, you can half remember three words from a verse. You type it even to in my electronic Bibles, you'll never find it. But uh, in Google, you will. Google will pretty much match anything. So uh, Google is a brilliant thing for finding that verse when you only can re only remember three words. I, that's what it's most useful for. Um, and now we're going to find out whether our internet works. The, I've just listed four, and there's a few more on the sheet I'm going to hand out. For me, these are... I use the first two of these every day. Bible Gateway. I would say every, almost every day I'm using Bible Gateway. Um, so we go to it. And uh, we're about to find out if the internet... Oh, yeah, look, look at this. Wow, we've got internet. You could just search. So let's just search. This is the, this is the verse, and I'm going to type it in because this is what got me um, really, really... Re I've always been interested in the Bible, but four years ago or something, it was in this church, and I was trying to look up this verse called Philippians 4, verse 13. I knew it said something about... Someone quoted it, and I was trying to find... They quoted the verse in their sermon, but they didn't say it where it was, and I couldn't remember it was Philippians 4.13. So I thought, I'll search on my electronic Bible. And I, I, I put in the words, I couldn't find it. And I'll show you why. If you look at Philippians 4.13... Now, I remember, I can do all things through him who gives me strength, and I just couldn't find it. But look at that. The NIV has put, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. It doesn't say things. They've done a change in the 2011 version of the NIV. And, it, and uh, we'll, it's the first one on the study. We've got some uh, little examples. We can look at that verse because they're trying to say, I can't do anything I like through God's strength. So it's putting it in context. And the context is Paul was saying, when, whether I'm in need or in plenty uh, or in want, I can do all this through him who strengthens me. And it's the point is that I can survive anything with God who strengthens me. That's really the point. So, um, on Bible Gateway, you can see a verse, you can see the whole passage like that. You can, you can scroll through it. But the most powerful thing about it is when you've looked up a verse, you click this in all English translations, 
And instantly, I've got 50. There's five zero. It might be a bit more now. Translations, the same verse. That is incredibly powerful. And so you can see the King James, or the, uh, like the King James, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The NIV did used to have that, and then they changed it in 2011 because they thought people were misinterpreting it. Now, they've done that. It does really say all. It does, I can do all through, all, all through Christ who strengthens me. That's what the original says. So that's an incredibly powerful site, and I use it all the time for looking at different translations. And for just, it, it's got all those. It's not every English translation, but it's got a massive selection, and, and that is just brilliant. Um, the next one, um, Bible Hub. So this is if you want to really get a little bit more detail. So if you go to Bible Hub, again, this has got commentaries and everything, but let's look up the same verse. Again, it's got a number of translations, pretty not nowhere near as many as Bible Gateway, but it's got, actually, actually it's got more. It didn't used to have that many. It seems to be growing all the time, but it's not, not all 50. But the most important thing is then got interlinear and Greek. This is the one I use. I go to the Greek, and then I've got the exact Greek words. The, um, can you see my mouse? Yes, you can. So you've got the, the Greek words in the right order. So this is in the actual order in the Greek, and then the English, an English equivalent. And that is what they call the Strong's number. That, that is, every, most words in the Bible have a Strong's number. And if I click on that, it goes instantly to a dictionary, Strong's definition, which is you know, what's in that big book I showed you. And it's got um, other, other um, like word dictionaries, something called helps. Um, and then it's got a lexicon, which is an even more bi detailed Bible dictionary. And over here is all the other verses where that word appears. That is incredibly powerful, and I, and I, use, it, I use it an awful lot. Um, so that, that's just two Bible sites, and, and I just find them fantastic when you're really getting into detailed study, if you want to. Um, so Bible Gateway and Bible Hub. This one, gotquestions.org. Look, five, 500,000 questions. I, this is just brilliant. for If you want to understand the church's teaching on something, I mean, I just looked up, I don't know, Let's look up salvation, just out of interest. Um, questions about, is baptism necessary for salvation? You know, there's an article on it. This is, this is, this is a brilliant site. It is American um, Reformed theology. So there are some things on there that I would say a little bit careful. I wouldn't read what they say on the gifts of the Spirit, because they're of the people that think the gifts of the Spirit are for today. So let's be careful about it. If you look about women in ministry, you might not agree with what they say, but almost everything else is, is brilliant from what I've seen. And just be aware that they have a certain theological bias. Apart from that, it, it's really, really good stuff. Um, and the last one, um, so this is the one. So uh, uh, discrepancies in the Bible, alleged discrepancies. There it is, top left. You go there. And let's actually look at that one I mentioned, New Testament, um, the genealogies of Matthew and Luke, and then it's got an explanation about why those genealogies might differ. That's, you know, that's instantly available, a click of a, of a mouse button. That's incredible. So you, you, you come across something and you've got those tools. So I would say that, that you know, there, there are many, many other sites, but those things are, are brilliant and uh, really helpful when, when we come to study the Bible. And then... The last thing, oh, oh whoops. Um, so those are all online. You can get them on a tablet as well, but then there are the Bible apps. 
and U version. Takata is the one I use. There's one called Olive Tree. So the reason I've got all these books and more on here is something called Olive Tree. That's a Bible app that allows me to load all these things electronically and then cross-reference them. So I can look up. Um, you have to pay for them, but, but some of them are free. Takata is free. Some of the Bible versions are free, but it costs two quid for another Bible version. You know, So um, on a tablet or a phone, those are brilliant. Um, those are the most common ones. version is one a lot of people use because it's free. I found it what I call bloatware. It got lots of stuff I didn't want. But uh, anyway, there's Bible reading plans. There's all sorts. Uh, and I've got a sheet that's explaining them in a bit more detail. I think we come to the end. Almost. Right. God's purpose for his word. Your word is a lamp for my feet, for my feet, a light on my path. That's what God said about it. And he also says this, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. This is what God's word is for. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And the one I started with, all scriptures, God breathed. This is God's purpose for his word. This is our aim, I think. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching you and admonishing you one another in all wisdom. Let's let it dwell in us richly. And um, the whole counsel of God, I quoted that scripture. Let, let's understand the whole counsel of God, not just little bits of it. And it's the glory of God to conceal the matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. Let's, let's be kings. Let's try and search out that stuff that, that God's put in his word. <laughs> For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk. Thank you for listening.